0: Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.
1: It's surprising to me how little uh, attention the energy crisis is getting in the leadership of the Conservative Party contest when uh, I think that, to me, this is the most important issue that the country is facing right now.
0: I'm Lacqua in the London studio, and this is In the City, Bloomberg's podcast connecting you to the stories at the heart of the City of London. This week, we unpack the UK's energy crisis, which, as Bloomberg opinion columnist Javier Blas says, is the most important issue facing the country right now. We'll discuss the consequences of soaring costs, the likelihood of blackouts this winter, and get the details on that near blackout in East London last month. We'll also ask why neither Liz Truss nor Rishi Sunak seem to have any concrete plans to deal with any of it. Bloomberg's Rachel Morrison, who covers energy for us in London, also joins us. But first, more from Javier Blas, a man many consider a celebrity in the world of energy and commodities. Javier, first of all, I love your Twitter feed. So I wake up, I read it, I feel so depressed. We're like, you know, using more coal, there's going to be blackouts. Like, what the hell is going on in the UK?
1: Well, it all started before the crisis with Ukraine. We made a big bet that we were going to phase out a lot of the coal uh, power plants that provide a very reliable but very polluting source of electricity into the United Kingdom. I do believe we're getting to a point where we consign coal power to history. And then We really, until very recently, didn't really go for replacing the nuclear power stations that we have because, you know, we are closing some of them as they have reached the limit of their life. But obviously that left the country relying largely on three sources of energy. A very diminishing nuclear fleet, which provides a fraction of what it used to provide, and then uh, renewable power, solar and wind, cheap, but uh, obviously subject to the vagaries of, of the weather. And then gas, which was filling the gap, ramping up and down. And, and that made the system a bit more vulnerable. And then we were relying also on buying power when needed from the continent, from countries like France, from Belgium and from Norway. Then you add the crisis of Ukraine and the decision by Vladimir Putin to shut down or reduce significantly gas supplies to Europe. The Kremlin shutting the tap on Bulgaria and Poland could be just a prelude. Prim- Russia announced it's cutting the flow of gas from the Nord Stream 1 pipeline. And then a crisis in France with the nuclear fleet going uh, emergency repairs.
2: France says it will likely extend pauses to its nuclear generation capacity. And
1: the situation in the UK just became extremely tight. And we are burning a lot of gas to keep the lights on. We have to bring new coal facilities into a stream for the winter. And ultimately, what what's happening is we have a rather unstable electricity system right now, which is going to make that if the weather is is just a bit cold this winter, you know, we 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 may have very very difficult days ahead. I mean, we a, a normal winter probably is okay. A, a cold winter, it, it will be very difficult for, for the United Kingdom to keep all the lights on.
0: Why are bills so high in the UK? Could government policy change all of this?
1: Well, the, the, the bills are high because the price of gas has shot up massively in the international market. It doesn't matter whether the UK imports a lot of gas directly from Russia or not, we we are competing with other European countries with all the sudden are trying to buy from the same places that we were buying. And also it is the case that we rely a lot on Norway for gas and Norway is getting also other customers asking for more gas because they need to replace the gas from Russia. So it doesn't really matter if you are in Europe, it doesn't really matter where you exactly are getting the gas, you are affected uh, by the uh, Russian situation because it is a regional market and the shortage of gas in Germany is felt by Everyone. The a model that we have in, in the United Kingdom means that consumers are, are facing those those bills. The, the increase in October is just going to be huge. We are talking 70 75 percent. Bills will increase even further by January. Uh, and a lot of this is already baked in unless the government decides to, to make an intervention and provide taxpayer money to resolve the problem. Other countries are, are just uh, putting more taxpayer money. Uh, to resolve the problem. In France, the the electricity bills are are increasing very, very slowly, but that's only because um, the government is throwing taxpayer money into the problem Nationalizing, fu- fully nationalizing electricity of France um, and forcing electricity of France to sell uh, power at below market prices, which means that someone is racking up a big loss. In this case, EDF has said that they lost already more than $8 billion this year sell- doing that. But ultimately, it's the taxpayer who is going to pay that in France because uh, it's stay-owned. So if, if the company that is stay-owned loses money, Ultimately, someone has to bail out that that electricity provider, and that's going to be the taxpayer.
0: But they could have debt, right, for a long time.
1: They have; they can have debt for a long time. So
0: the timeline is different. Whereas this is like in the UK, it's a nightmare.
1: Yeah, it, it, it does it does change the timeline, uh, and that's something that I, I will I will be expecting that the UK government may be looking at is at the end of the day, someone is going to have to pay. But can we change the timeline? Can we? Can we? Uh, make this 70, 75% increase, not using one year, but make it for five years and and therefore finance with with sovereign debt, etc, etc. I will be expecting some of this.
0: Do you see the UK government trying to shield consumers almost entirely from soaring prices?
1: I I don't know if almost entirely, but I certainly do not see a situation where electricity bills for everyone cost £450 per month. Uh, simply because uh, everyone that is at the median household income in the United Kingdom or below will be in deep, deep trouble. It, this is not just an economic crisis, uh, it, it will be really causing social unrest. And in many cases, to me, is what the government decides to bail out either the consumers directly or it has to bail out the industry later. Because if the bills go to, say, £450 per month, I think that a lot of families are just simply going to stop paying, just because they cannot pay anymore. The debt will accumulate on the utilities, which later will need a rescue from the government. So it's either we rescue the consumers, or in a few months' time we rescue the utilities. But there is no way out. And I kind of feel that UK politicians are just hoping for the best. But I'm sorry. The, the price increase that is coming in October, that is completely, fully baked in. It's just simply going to happen unless the government decides that it's going to throw money, public money, taxpayer money into the problem. Uh, just, just simply hoping that prices will come down, it's not going to resolve it.
0: Javier, I was really struck by the Secretary General of the United Nations actually you know, calling record profits from oil and gas uh, companies immoral because of the global energy crisis
1: it is immoral for oil and gas companies to be making record profits from this energy crisis on the back of the poorest people and communities and at a massive cost to the climate
0: do you i mean do you agree
1: no i don't i think that that statement is extremely unhelpful i mean we we can't have a debate whether we should tax energy companies windfall profits with windfall taxes but To say that those profits are immoral, I think that that's not helpful. I mean, that that will question completely the capitalist system that we have built and the freedoms that we have. People make money, build businesses to make money, and their profits are not immoral. They are just profits that they are making. It is for the state to decide whether they want to tax it, and then we can have a debate about taxing those profits. But also we need to be very aware that we need further investment into energy. That's one of the lessons of this crisis is that we need investment. And one thing that really worries me a lot currently is that we are not seeing a reaction by companies to high prices by cracking up spending into new projects. Typically, commodity prices go up, And then they come down because companies react, put more spending into projects, et cetera, et cetera. That's not happening at the moment. And that, I think, is where the debate should be.
0: You wrote this wonderful piece, I think it was one of the first ones that I read on blackouts, saying how East London came close to a blackout, but it was avoided. What
1: happened? Well, I would not call it that wonderful, because it was a really...
0: Not wonderful, but but it was an eye-opener. Yeah. It was the first one I read on possible blackouts. It,
1: it, was, a terrifying, it was a terrifying story. So this happened in late July and it was uh, around the time of the of the heat wave actually it was a day after the heat wave and there is a big constraint this is not about lack of generation capacity but it's about the grid there is a big constraint to move electricity into the area of London Let, you know for Londoners that let's say the kind of the M25 area the, 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 the orbital motorway around around London and uh, what happened at that point was that because of those constraints, it was the equivalent of a traffic jam on the on the grid. The uh, national grid could not get enough electricity to the area of East London. And the only way to do that was either to have to implement what they would call emergency instructions, which is jargon for disconnecting houses and businesses from the grid, therefore a blackout. Or try to import uh, electricity from the continent, and therefore bypassing this this traffic jam that it was just kind of north of London. The decision was taken to try to import electricity from the continent, but the continent was extremely short of electricity at the same time. And actually, Belgium at that point was hoping to be buying electricity from the United Kingdom. That flow had to be reversed, stop exports from the UK into Belgium, and starting importing electricity from Belgium into the United Kingdom. To do that, the only way to do it was to pay an absolutely record price for electricity. There was £9,724 per megawatt hour. That's about 5,000% more than the normal price of electricity. And, you know, it was only for a few minutes, about an hour and a half that we were importing. It was not a lot of electricity that was imported, thank God, at that price. But the price and the emergency measures that the grid have to take to secure that electricity really was an indication of how tight the system was. The the grid will have not paid that price unless it was used... Either we do this or we have a blackout. That was as bad as the situation got.
0: Were you surprised?
1: I was quite surprised. I mean, when you talk to people in the industry, they said that we are just asleep walking into a crisis, particularly in winter. When you talk to engineers and, and, and people who are familiar with the grid and the, and the UK system, they are really terrified of, of what's going on. To me, what was very surprising is that this happened ...in late July, in the middle of the summer. Yes, it was hot, so it was a bit more demand of air conditioning. But let's not kid ourselves. The UK doesn't have that much air conditioning to start, so it was not really a big factor. It really worries me, if we are having trouble in in summer, what's going to happen in winter? What is going to happen on one of those cold nights... Uh, clear clear sky of late January, early February, when the temperature really drops and we are all cracking up our electricity. And also when the, the hours of darkness are, are far longer, come January, you know, we will have the lights on at 3.30 in the afternoon. I just really worry that this happened in summer and not in winter. Has happened in winter, I will be, well, this is the kind of thing that happens. But, but that, that was the big surprise.
0: Javier, thank you so much. Thank you. So, a near blackout in London this summer, like Javier says, that does not leave us much hope for this winter. Our energy expert, Rachel Morrison, joins us to explain why the UK could be dealing with blackouts this January. Rachel, thank you so much for joining us. The UK and actually other countries, seems like it's going through such a horrific price rise when it comes to energy. Have you seen? ever anything like
2: it. No, really, the increases we're seeing in the wholesale market, which, of course, drive retail prices, have been at record levels. Compared to this time of year, usually prices are you know five times what they normally are in the summer before demand is high for winter. So no, we've never really seen anything like this. And we've been trying to figure out if it's the worst energy crisis since maybe the 1970s, the oil price shock. And now we think that it's probably as bad as World War Two.
0: So what can the politicians do? You have this race of who's the next prime minister. It hasn't really, I mean, they talk about it, but we haven't really seen any real solutions.
2: Yes, it hasn't been a main campaign issue. Yet, as soon as somebody steps in in September, it's going to be something they're going to have to deal with because we find out the new price cap level on august the 26th and then it kicks in on october the 1st so up to this point uh rishi sunak when he was chancellor announced a 400 pound discount for everybody on their bills and that stands but the magnitude of price increases mean that that's just not going to be enough so there's going to need to be more and the candidates have both spoken a bit about what they would do But really, we're hearing from across the whole industry, from energy poverty campaigners, that, you know, it's just not enough. There needs to be something big to address this huge increase for people.
0: So if you're looking at the candidates, Rishi Sunak versus Liz Truss, who has the best energy policies?
2: Rishi Sunak has been quite reticent on what he will actually do. He says he will address it if and when he, he becomes um, Prime Minister. So I think he probably has a better idea of the levers available, because we have been through a lot of the options. And Liz Truss is talking a lot about um, tax cuts, and also cutting green levies from bills, which is very unpopular with the sort of energy sphere, because it doesn't take that much off bills, to be honest. And it's difficult because it's money that has been promised to pay for renewable projects, so it has to come from somewhere else. So it doesn't really fix the problem. And it's not what is contributing to higher energy bills, really.
0: Rachel, I mean, the French are nationalising, right, EDF. I mean, is there any circumstance in the UK where a, a Tory government would do the same.
2: We have seen that with one energy supplier, with Bulb, which has been run by the government. But in terms of a producer like EDF, it that's not really where the problem is for the UK. So we have quite separate companies. We have some that are generating electricity and producing gas, Centrica, for example, who are making a lot of money from doing that, which kind of does offset some of the losses they make from supplying customers. And then some of the other... Um, suppliers, the E.ON, EDF, they're all part of um, a bigger European group which helps them. So, the more in this sort of crisis, the more diversified you are as a company like Enel, like Iberdrola, the better you are protected against some of these income streams coming under pressure. So, we may see some of some more smaller suppliers go bust in the UK. If the bigger they are, the more likely. It is that the government will need to step in some of the bigger ones that could happen again. And um, Centrica, who's the biggest supplier to homes through British Gas, the CEO did warn last week that he he expects that others could could face difficulties this winter as we see big swings in prices.
0: Am I right in thinking that actually the UK had a lot more of these smaller energy companies than the rest of Europe?
2: Yes, there was a big push to diversify how many suppliers there were, which led to a lot of small companies which were poorly financed, unhedged, and didn't have that kind of diversified portfolio of maybe some generating assets. They just had customer businesses. And yes, more than two dozen of those companies went under. And that is partly because we had more of those, you know, up as much as 70 at one point. But also the way that they'd come into the market was, you know, we've now seen Ofgem admit that they didn't have enough checks in place, that it ha- it was sort of disorderly and wasn't really working.
0: You have this pretty incredible story. We're in the middle of heat wave, but we're talking about possible blackouts in the UK, a G7 country in January.
2: Yes. So across Europe, governments are starting to draw up their emergency plans for what happens in winter if, Russia turns off the gas, you know, if it's cold, what will they do? What will the steps be? And we managed to get some information about the UK's emergency plan. And what it showed was that in January, there are four days that they're particularly worried about, where if the weather's cold, which it's quite likely to be in January, that there could be problems. So where they see the issue is that if it's cold and demand rises and we're not getting as much power over the interconnector cables that connect us to parts of Europe. And there's not as much gas coming in that we're importing from Europe. At that point, they would need to cut gas supply to power generation. So that would mean that they'd have to cut industry and possibly homes. So that would mean blackouts for industry and homes. And they mentioned both of those, which is really the first time that the government's head-on addressed what would happen and what the impact would be for people in the UK.
0: So this is the, basically the government is calling this the reasonable worst case scenario. So reasonable means that it it is actually likely it could happen.
2: Yes. And reasonable meaning they're not modeling insane temperatures of minus 50. You know, they're modeling temperatures that we've had that are cold, things that could possibly happen and aren't, you know, totally ridiculous. So it, the factors that they, that they lay out are possible and it does need a few things to happen at once and I think a lot is going to be weather dependent this winter but it's sort of the peak of the peak demand maybe we don't have as much wind you know all of those things coming together and I suppose in one way they say well at least we're prepared but on the other hand the fact that it's even getting to this is quite shocking
0: I mean, it is shocking, and I just don't know if you have an organised blackout for industries. I and mean, you get a letter in the Post, like, two months before, saying you're going to be closed for the four days if something goes wrong? Like, how do you find out? How do you prepare for that?
2: At the moment, the grid operator, National Grid, is trying to get companies to voluntarily sign up to say that, you know, if you send us a notice that demand needs to reduce, that we will be the ones to do it. But if companies... Don't come forward, and I've spoken to some that say, you know, we don't, like a data center, for example, if they don't want to cut demand because it's difficult for their operations and they don't get enough people doing it voluntarily, then they will need to mandatory, to sort of have mandatory measures to cut off demand. And I think for households at least, it's likely to be done in a rolling way. So a uh, one region would not have an electricity would not have electricity for an hour, then the next region. So it wouldn't be, you know, a nationwide blackout for an hour, but it would be organised that we sort of take it in turns to have electricity over a period of time. Even that is hard to uh, communicate.
0: We've had such an incredible heat wave. It, does it make it even more difficult to predict what happens in in the winter?
2: In some ways, yes, because some of the things that are happening now where where we've seen nuclear plants that have had to reduce output and coal that's burning through stocks and they can't get any more supplies up the Rhine, that's using electricity. That's using coal that we will need for the winter and it's also meaning that more gas is needed to generate electricity that's not going into storage. I mean, storage levels are quite high at the moment, but we do need to put in as much as we can and we don't really need to be using it for electricity where we could use another source.
0: Rachel, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this week's In the City. We'll be back next week with campaign promises from Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss. But in the meantime, if you like our show, please head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and rate, review, and also subscribe. And if you liked what you heard on this episode, you can get the latest on the energy and commodities market from Javier and his team by subscribing to Bloomberg's new newsletter, Elements. Sign up by going to Bloomberg.com slash newsletters. This episode was hosted by me, Francine Lacroix, and produced by Summer Sadi. Special thanks to Javier Blass, Rachel Morrison, and Alina Ganatra.